ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I think it's given me my determination and my drive to keep going, which I think is absolutely instrumental in in paving the way forward for not just me, but for other Indigenous people as well in terms of getting into business and making impact. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and in this episode of This Working Life, we're meeting First Nations entrepreneurs who are changing the way we think about business. We find a different set of values that you know we want to you know do some great things and, and grow our businesses as, as, as mob, but at the same time we want to employ our people and, and create opportunities. Drawing the strength and resilience of those who have gone before. What I want to do as an Indigenous business person and pay forward what our elders have actually laid out for us. It's honouring what they have actually done and the opportunities that their struggles have actually provided us now. And creating a better future for the next generation. So happy in that, that, that my kids see that, you know, our generation now are, are happy and proud to share and, and wear Aboriginal clothing. When I grew up in Anchuka, I was too scared to, to do that because of the backlash that you'd get and the racist comments. First up, I'm joined by Alicia Geary. She's a Garangarang, Daibu and Wittiti woman, entrepreneur, who has founded a number of startups. Alicia, how did you first get into entrepreneurship? That was actually through friends of mine. So I uh, got a scholarship to attend Bond University in the Gold Coast. And for me, coming from Cairns, that was a move to the big city. (laughs) And I made friends, yeah, and who had done um, startups during high school. And I didn't even realize that you could do that. So that was actually my first bit of exposure to entrepreneurship. And then fortunately, the university I went to has a startup accelerator program, which I was able to enroll in once I had an idea. Tell us about Fabella, the activewear line that came out of this. As part of my scholarship, I had volunteered to take guests through the large Indigenous art collection that Bond University houses which is actually the largest private collection in the country. So I was very interested in learning about our art techniques, particularly on the Aboriginal side, because I mostly grew up with my Torres Strait Islander culture. So I put my hand up to do that and learned about all of the artworks and realised the significance of our artworks in that they're not just pretty paintings, but records of history and knowledge that artists were passing down, given all of the symbolism in the paintings and the the tales that they told. So doing that, I realized um, this was really important for our culture and our people. And if more non-Indigenous people understood the significance, they might appreciate uh, our culture more as well. So I was envisioning at first putting the artwork on dresses and and selling them um, as sort of formal gowns to get people really excited about the art. But then I was steered in the direction of activewear, given activewear was a huge industry, is a huge industry, and can be really boring, blacks and greys. So I thought it was the perfect uh, match. So that's how I ended up with the activewear line. But when you were working with artists for this activewear, you soon realised just how much of artists' work was being exploited. In fact, I was reading that the 2018 Parliamentary Inquiry into Indigenous Art and Craft found that 80% of First Nations souvenirs sold in Australia were fake, which is an astounding statistic, really. So this led you to your next venture, Provi, which protects people's intellectual property. Can you tell us a bit more about this startup? 
Yes, so um, I'm also passionate about intellectual property theft, and you're right on the money in that there's so much stolen IP out there, and it's such a shame because a lot of Indigenous artists, they they are struggling financially, and they come from families and communities that are struggling financially. So I thought it was a massive shame and was something I wanted to fix. So that's why I thought about trying to create this uh, stock image library designed to help artists make more revenue from what they were putting out. So for example, one of the issues I was trying to solve is that when an artist provides their artwork to a brand to use on products, they normally are just paid a small lump sum. And given a lot of artists, um, particularly Indigenous artists, need the money, sometimes they'll just accept the first deal. And it's not a lot of money at all, even though there are huge brands that work with Indigenous artists. One issue I was trying to solve was getting the brands to actually pay royalties for every product sold instead of just a lump sum, because a lot of these brands will sell so much of uh, products bearing this artwork. And that's why I wanted to make the stock image library backed by NFTs was to make it very clear who owns what and when when such and such such was uploaded. But you would have seen there's a lot of um, rubbish out there with NFTs. So the market was not doing well. So I pivoted and that's why I've ended up with the fintech that I'm doing now using one of the tokens I'd created to help farmers and grocery store retailers get paid in real time because it's more B2B play. So you use these NFTs or digital tags to make sure people get paid properly for their work, but you're also now working with communities through a skincare range. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, so that that is Thirsty Turtle. So I, I've started that up a couple of years ago in 2020 with a couple of other two women who are passionate about essentially utilising Indigenous knowledge to create skincare and, and helping out our Indigenous farmers by sourcing it from them. So all the products are designed with native Australian plants and marine natives, but also secondly, um, try and um, get them harvested from Indigenous farmers and, mm. for example, the Indigenous Women's Harvesting Group in Northern Territory because that is a lot of valuable Indigenous knowledge but also that then funnels money back into those communities so that they can keep utilising this um, amazing knowledge that our people have. So, yeah, it, it's a wonderful little brand. We, we're, we're still quite new but we've, we've launched our first three products now and we're excited to see where it goes. Joining us is entrepreneur and proud Torres Strait Islander, Morgan Coleman. Morgan, one of your companies, Vets On Call, has been described as Uber for vets. How does it work? So Vets On Call uh, is a mobile app and um, website. And basically as a customer, you would just jump on on your app or online and select a vet for whenever you would like. Um, and from a vet's perspective, they put in their hours that they're available, their working radius, um, and clients are able to see them based on that and book them on that. The app did everything from maintain all your pet's health records, that would manage all your payments, as well as um, any kind of reminders that you as a pet owner needed as well. And when you were building this business, what were some of the main challenges that came up along the way, Morgan? Oh, look, I think... Um, access to capital. When we first started raising capital, um, you know, the typical kind of journey that you go through as a, as a startup founder raising money is you go to the three Fs first, and that stands for friends, family, and fools. <laughs> I know. Uh, Love it. But that's typically where you sort of go for your first round of funding. And 
I remember going to my friends and family and, and having them laugh at me, not because they thought that it was a bad idea and that this business would never work, but they were laughing because our minimum buy-in was $5,000 and they thought it was laughable that, that I thought they might have But comparatively, there was another guy I knew in the startup space, roughly the same sort of um, stage of business, and he managed to raise $1.6 million from his friends and family. Wow. And that then just gets compounded as you go along. And I think we ended up raising about $70,000. But what we managed to do in 12 months far exceeded what they were able to do with $1.6 million. But their access to capital through their networks was, you know, it was polar opposites, what what I had and what they had. So when they went to raise capital again, even though their metrics of their business weren't, you know, nearly as impressive as ours, uh, they still had the networks that opened the doors and allowed them those interviews with um, venture capitalists. And that, I think, would be probably the biggest challenge that we came up against, just access to capital. Yeah, definitely echoing a lot of what Morgan's saying, um, access to capital. And you never know why you do get knocked back. And it could be a number of things. But there are particular challenges as well that as a female you face in the startup space, um, as well as minority. So you get comments sometimes like for the, the fintech, for example, I've had the comment that it's strange that you're so interested in fintech as a woman. It's an uphill battle essentially the entire time. So what's been one of your superpowers to overcome those challenges? I I would say it's being able to code switch, being able to have those different perspectives. I have spent a lot of time and energy trying to understand how people from different backgrounds think and adopting their mindsets so that I can communicate like them, but also being able to have a really strong sense of self and of purpose. Startups can be really grueling and really hard. And there's, and not just for Indigenous founders, for any founder, it is a, it's a long, sometimes really lonely journey to get to where you need to go, no matter how glamorous they make startups look. You know, it's a lot of hours, a lot of sacrifices that you have to make. And a lot of people can um, suffer setbacks and failures and not and feel like not getting up again and trying. And I've had a few um, close people to me who have experienced that where they've had a setback or a failure or, you know, failed a startup and then not been able to get back in because it's um, it's really attached to your identity and it can be really detrimental to your sense of self. So I think for me, one of the superpowers has been because I have such a strong cause in in the sense that I want to help my family and communities and ultimately my people, those setbacks and failures, I'm also look at as learning opportunities and that I just need to keep going. So it's I think it's given me my determination and my drive to keep going, which I think is absolutely um, instrumental in in paving the way forward for not just me, but for other Indigenous people as well in terms of getting into business and making um, impact. Morgan, one of your initiatives, Black Angels, seeks to foster the next generation of Indigenous entrepreneurs. How did this concept come about? It came about because I actually I went into a VC Catalyst, which is run by the Wade Institute out of a woman college in Melbourne. And basically trying to cultivate this network of angel investors across Australia. And they teach you more or less how to be a venture capitalist in about six weeks. 
I saw a lot of venture capital going to non-Indigenous businesses. In fact, I think, you know, it'd be less than 0.1% of all venture capital spent in Australia went to Indigenous businesses. But also what that means is that we as Indigenous investors are missing out on a lot of this, these opportunities. And it didn't make sense to me for Indigenous investors to miss out on those kind of life-changing opportunities to invest in companies that you know, will one day shape the future of our world. And I thought, well, how can we marry those two problems together? One, give the Indigenous investors the opportunities to invest in those kinds of companies. And two, give the Indigenous entrepreneurs that are seeking capital a friendly place to go where they're actually going to get the support and nurturing that they need to actually either become investment ready or go and get capital elsewhere because not every business is venture suitable and it's better to know that up front and early than spend two, three years trying to raise venture capital and just being told no and not why. It's an amazing opportunity to help other entrepreneurs avoid a lot of the pitfalls that we uh, stepped in along the way, um, coming at it fresh. Because, yeah, I don't know about Morgan, but I don't know anyone in my family who's gone down the startup route, and my family's massive. You know, there's about 300 of us. Um, a lot. I have a huge family on my dad's side and a huge family on my mum's side. But there's no one I can really turn to for guidance. So you do step into a lot of pitfalls along the way. Um, and it's, so the Black Angels is an amazing opportunity to help other Indigenous entrepreneurs who are starting the journey avoid a lot of those pitfalls, but also capitalize on a lot of the opportunities afforded to us as Indigenous entrepreneurs as well. So that is yeah, going to be an amazing journey to go on with them. Alicia, Morgan, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Glad to have the chat. Hi, I'm Megan Vandenberg. I'm a Yorta Yorta, Ja Ja Rung, Tangarong, gee, the list goes on, Bunarong, proud Aboriginal woman. And my name's Emma Bamblett, and I've got kinship connections to my Wemba Wemba, Gundi Jamara, and Natajan on my mum's side, and Tangarong people on my dad's. At our new venture that we opened in December. It's called Kenya Lurk & Co. So it's a retail store. So when you walk in the front door, you kind of hit in the face with these beautiful scents of lemon myrtle, which is our key candle that we have here. So we've got our beautiful homewares ranges from diffusers, locally made soaps, uh, beautiful scarves. And then, you know, it's a big shop full of different homewares where you've got ceramics, tea towels, bookshelf, a kid's corner. I think when we started, we had 20 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander businesses. We're up to 60. And the, the reality is that the designs speak for themselves. So Aboriginal art is just so full of colour and design and warmth and stories. If we have a very successful online business and acknowledgement of plaque business. Then we moved into homewares. We felt like after COVID that people wanted to touch and feel and experience things. And Emma and I were wanting to always, as we said, talk through COVID about something extra. So we, we dipped in, we, we, we took a, a huge risk and it is a risk uh, in bricks and mortar and retail because retail's not you know, the, the best environment to potentially be in at the moment, but so far it's working and, it's, and we've been really well received. Kenya Lurk means women coming together in my mother's 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 language, the Wemba Wemba people. Here in Kenya Lurk, I grew up with my nan speaking some language, so it was it meant a lot for Megan and I as Aboriginal women to come together 
to set in yarn and that's where you see on the logo there's three circles that connect and it looks like a triangle that's that represents us as women coming together sharing knowledge celebrating each other's achievements and just wanting the best for each other and for aboriginal women in business so that was the drive behind kenya lurk People are surprised by the size. We've actually, so this used to be an old biscuit factory many years ago. So it's actually a really decent space that we've got here. And we've created it into two parts. We've got the three quarters of it is the retail store and the, the other quarter is a workshop space, um, meeting room space. Also, we have dedicated an area where we bought an old 1950s lounge suite that had been, was in mint condition, purely to set up that um, concept of mob not feeling like they have to come here and shop and leave. Or they don't even have to shop, they can just come here and have a cup of any yarn. So it's, it's become, I think, a bit more than, a lot more than what we expected. It's a, it's a meeting place, it's a hub. Uncle Kutcher Edwards is our, you know, uncle family bloodline and he's a, a very beautiful Aboriginal elder and performer. When he's in Melbourne he comes and pops into the store and says hello but I call him the black magnet because like every time he comes in he sits on the couch and we make cuppers and then all of a sudden just black fellas start turning up and then he knows them and then he'll start working the connections out and telling them how they're related so he's um you know it's it's a privilege to have elders come in here we have uncle ray thomas Annie leanne edwards like we've got elders and people that we greatly respect you know Annie die kerr's been in here Annie the other the other day Annie pam pedersen come in and we're honored you know we're so grateful to have the support of our elders because our elders you know it's not just the elders voice this year but it's forever and um, you know we're so grateful i think what's unique is that we bring our personal experiences our family history a lot of the products are therapeutic for, towards our healing so i think that's like unique in the way that we come from a different place of of healing and wanting to then build on on our small businesses generational wealth like we grew up poor we didn't have nothing and you know just showing mob that you can succeed and provide for your family in a way where you're not relying on anything else except your you know your your knowledge your history your your support from community and we all share that kind of drive and passion and yeah it's a healing space like when I walk in you know we're provide we're helping families provide for their families so you know Megan and I do say to customers when they're buying it Megan will let them know who they've purchased it from their connections to country what you know their visions are so I think that's an important kind of part on why we we set up as well we've come along at a, a great time to be in Aboriginal business because people really want to buy ethically and they want to do the right thing. So it's a store for allies, but it's really a, sto a store for mob to come. Um, we had Laura Thompson, the CEO of Clothing the Gaps, walk in and say, this is like a black Northlands, which is like a, a black big black shopping centre, really. Yeah, it was just really nice to set up something that represented Aboriginal people. You know, we go to places like Northlands and Westfields and the first thing I do is look around and go what kind of things represent me and make me feel safe so you know that this that was a drive for Megan and I like we over lockdown we looked at our houses and said how can we make our houses with beautiful Aboriginal products and symbols that represent us so I think lockdown was a, a light bulb moment for us and we thought well wouldn't it be nice to have a place to set up 
for all businesses to showcase their beautiful artwork and show how, you know, our culture is rich and how proud we are in it. So I think that this, the suburbs around here are really ally-friendly. We've got all um, Aboriginal flags. Our, our acknowledgement plaques are hung up at, uh, at the front of people's houses around the area. So, yeah, feeling really safe in this area, F- feeling safe to do so, to share and, and wear Aboriginal clothing. When I grew up in Echuca, I was too scared to, to do that because of the backlash that you'd get and the racist comments. I'm so happy in that, that my kids see that our generation now are happy and proud to share, to wear the clothing, to, to purchase homewares, purchase art. Yeah, I think it makes us feel really proud and safe. Scott McCartney is the CEO of Kinaway Chamber of Commerce, an organisation that supports Victorian-based Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander business owners. Scott, the number of Indigenous startups in Australia grew by 30% in the last decade. What's driving this growth? It's government policy around Indigenous procurement um, policies and, and in our state of Victoria, it's the social procurement framework where governments have made commitments to, to Indigenous spend with Indigenous businesses. Um, so lots of different opportunities are popping up. Like we've seen ourselves at Kinaway since 2019, we had 120 certified Aboriginal businesses that we we supported, uh, whereas today we're 570. So there has been some massive growth in industry and, and a lot of these people are, are in business for the first time as well. So, which is great. And in your experience, what sets Indigenous businesses apart? I think it's around the value system. Um, you know, when you think of non-Indigenous businesses, it's all about profit and growth and assets and, and so forth. Where you look at a lot of our businesses and, and one of the, the, the premises of our uh, people getting into business was you know, about doing something for the community and there's some really um, cool stats that I think it was the Pine Nation released in 2017 that an Aboriginal business was 100 times more likely to employ an Aboriginal person. So we find a different set of values that, you know, we want to, you know, do some great things and, and grow our businesses as, as, as mob, but at the same time we want to employ our people and, and create opportunities. So I think it's just a different value set. It's like, like I said, it's not around about profits and so forth. It's about the impact. Scott, what do you think makes programs seeking to support First Nations businesses successful? Look, I only talk to our experience here in Victoria um, and, you know, our organisation, Kinaway, is community controlled. So my board is made up of our members and our members are our businesses. So that means, and you talk about self-determination, you know, we, my, I'm empowered by my board to do what's the best for our businesses. And I think when you hand it over to community to do that, who know their businesses and know their community and know some of the challenges and have a deeper understanding, that's where you start to see real growth. And that's what we've seen here in Victoria is that, you know, from 2019 having 120 uh, business to 570 now, to have 10 corporate partners in 2019, to have 130 today, to have three staff in 2019, to have 20 staff here, including our own business hub that's self-funded without any government support, that's where you see people doing things for the right reasons. What's your advice to allies who'd like to support First Nations businesses? I say this all the time, think differently approach your procurement differently. Um, when you look at the people that are in procurement in corporates and government, think about the impact. You know, Procurement's a lot of the time around risk mitigation, and I understand that. 
but some at some stage, the contract you're dealing with right now was a, a new business at some stage. So think about how you can get Aboriginal businesses in your supply chain. The second thing I say to people, not in procurement, you know, have a look at the, our website in particular, kinaway.com.au. Go to our business directory. Next time you're buying a present for someone or you want to purchase a little gift for yourself, have a look, try it, because as I said earlier about the values of Aboriginal businesses and the impact it's having, like, it can be something you can be a part of, a journey you can be involved in, and actually helping grow an Aboriginal business, help an Aboriginal person um, you know, achieve their, their goals and their aspirations. Scott, thanks so much. You're welcome. I'd like to thank all my guests, Morgan Coleman, Alicia Geary, Megan Vandenberg, Emma Bamblett and Scott McCartney. If you'd like to learn more about Black Angels, Kenya Lurk and Kinaway, we'll have links on our program page. I'm Lisa Leong. This episode was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thanks to This Working Life producer Rachel Bongiorno and to sound engineer Brendan O'Neill. Join me again next week as we speak with author Marcus Buckingham on his book, Love and Work. Until then, work it, baby. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.